Welcome, welcome, everyone. We are back with a new edition of ESPN's Formula One podcast. As usual, I'm Alexis Tunes, and I've got both my boys in today, Nathaniel Saunders and Lawrence Edmondson, but I'm going to call him Lazinha because I'm giving you a little bit of a Brazilian flair there, Lawrence. I'm not sure why, but it just came to me, and I love it, so I'm sticking with it. Anyways, big podcast ahead as we look ahead to the first of two weekends in Italia. That's where Nate's family comes from, apparently. That's, that's where he gets his fabulous Italian town from. Um, first one being at Monza, of course, iconic Monza. So we're definitely going to look in depth into that and see what the boys are expecting from this weekend's actions. Plus, we'll have your pit stop predictions and Nate's bald, bald, bald predictions. And we're going to let Lawrence get a little bit nerdy on some engine news. But first, we're going to tackle some of the latest news that's stemming from the Belgian Grand Prix. But before we even get to the news, let's just let Nate explain himself on why he ditched us for NFL Fantasy Draft, because I'm still hurt. And Lawrence was hurt, too. Well, Lawrence can't be too hurt because we're now doing a draft in our F1 league that I've just set up this year. And Lawrence is completely obsessed with it, like the rest of the guys in there. So as Lawrence mentioned in the pod at the start, this serious business is a fantasy NFL draft. And if, if you draft badly, it doesn't mean you're going to lose the league, but it certainly helps you lose the league if you do. And as he mentioned, I, I, I was the winner and then I lost the league. I finished 12th out of 12 and then I won the league. So I've had a, I've had a roller coaster of a couple of years in that league. And I just, you know, it, you've got to take it seriously. Otherwise you're going to be back down there. So I don't mind finishing, I don't mind finishing second to 11th this year. I just don't want to finish 12th. And that's the key. So that's why I missed it. Because Nate, why don't you want to finish 12th? What's the forfeit? If you think? Yeah, so, so it's a very good question, Lawrence. And uh, the, the reason is in our league, the 12th place uh, finisher, we call the butt fumble, which is uh, in honor of my favorite NFL play ever was Mark Sanchez, was the New York Jets quarterback. I'm sure plenty of people listening will be able to just imagine the image just from me saying that word. But he basically ran into the butt of one of his own O-linemen, fell over, fumbles the ball, and then the Patriots ran it back for a touchdown, which is categorically one of the funniest things you'll ever see. So if you're the butt fumble in our league, you have to wear a pink T-shirt that says, I am butt fumble. It has a picture of that on the, on the front of it. And it's, 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 it's quite a horribly tight and like hot, kind of sticky shirt to wear often so and usually when i see you're summertime fine now nate you've got your guns out so i think any tight sticky shirt you'd be ready for it (laughs) well see maybe maybe i should try and lose the league again then but (laughs) so you you have to wear that if you're out with uh two or more other members of the league and because i live with one one other member of the league is my housemate ian it was very very difficult for me not to wear that because if we met anybody else i'd have to wear that shirt so it was uh it was a stressful couple of a couple of months i had that so, uh, yeah, it's, it's serious business, but I won't be missing any again, unless, of course, you know, I have a real Sunday where I'm like, I need to go home and just do fantasy football and then it'll just be prep. No, I'm joking. That won't happen. But oh, all right. Uh, well, Lawrence, I don't know. You tell me. Are we accepting that? Are we accepting that? Well, yeah, Nate has introduced me to fantasy NFL football this, this year, and I have no idea what's going on in the NFL. I don't really know who <laughs> half the players are, but um, it is weirdly addictive because it's quite stats driven. So you can get into it even if you've only ever watched like two Super Bowls in your life, which is my situation. So um, I do forgive him on the basis of him introducing me to this new way of wasting a lot of time. (laughs) And that ultimately is what it is. It's just a very good way to waste a lot of time you should be doing other stuff. So at least we're all forgiving Nate for this one, but it's good to have you back. Definitely good to have the whole crew on deck as we look ahead to what should be two very big and exciting weekends in Italy. But before we get there, I do have to ask if everyone is still asleep after spa, because I know, I know we really have to hype ourselves up to do both the podcast 
with Lawrence and our video hits um, Nate after that one because it was another routine win for Lewis Hamilton and not really much else going on apart from the <laughs> fact that Ferrari hit rock bottom, I guess. Yeah, that was like the big talking point from it. And to be honest, I feel sorry for Mercedes. So there was a great uh, post that was going around yesterday on social media. Somebody, I think on Instagram had, or maybe on Twitter had basically was insulting Mercedes saying, you know, oh, you guys, you know, it sucks that you guys are out in front. It's so boring. And their comment was like, well, look, you should probably be more annoyed with our rivals who can't keep up with us. And they were like, especially those who have a bit more of an advantage than us. And, you know, I think that that's the big talking point right now is the fact that Ferrari gets all this extra money from F1 and they're in this position. And, you know, it's, it's, it's fair enough finishing second or third, but to be this far off the pace, uh, I just, yeah, it's, it's, it's really crazy that they're doing that. So if you're, if you're annoyed at anyone for F1, the state of it right now, you should be more annoyed at Ferrari than at Mercedes. Certainly not, you know, it's definitely boring that they're, they're winning it all the time, but that's because there's no competition. Well, speaking of being annoyed at Ferrari, I suppose that brings us to our very first news story because we expected quite a bit of talk and probably fallout from the 13th and 14th positions that we saw um, Ferrari get in Spa. And I suppose that, I mean, it was an absolute train wreck, I guess we could say. <laughs> Nate literally did say he felt like it was rock bottom for them when I asked you in the um, in our post-race video hits. And I mean, they're making my dating life look like an absolute dream. But despite this, Mattia Bernato insisted that Ferrari are not in a what he would say crisis and I have the quote that he says and he says quote it is wrong to use the word crisis for the moment we are going through although the team is in the middle of a storm we are very united interesting there is no crisis no tension end quote very interesting Lawrence I mean what is he having for breakfast because I would love some of that positivity in the eye of the storm everything's going crazy but he says do not, it's wrong to use the word crisis well, if you're leading the team, you probably don't want the word crisis used, do you? So it's, it's quite understandable that he's going to play that down uh, on the basis that uh, he is the man responsible and he's at the top of the tree there. So um, is it a crisis? Uh, it, well, potentially it is, but also this isn't... OK, we, we, we saw the end result of it in Spa, but this has been building for a long time. It's not like all of a sudden they brought a new car to Spa and it was terrible and that's why they are where they are. It's, these are just underlying issues that were exposed brutally in Spa. Uh, so the car that, you know, got the podium in uh, Silverstone and all the rest of it, it's still the same car, you know, it's, uh, it, it's still the same package there. So we'll go to other races later in the year, but this always happens when uh, a team is underperforming in general, and then they have a particularly bad result, and then everyone jumps on. But, you know, it's something we have been writing about since the start of the year. It's something we've been aware of since the start of the year. And really, you know, it comes back to decisions that were made 2018, 2019, uh, maybe even as early as 2017, when they did decide to pursue what was, uh, what, what turned out to be a very risky strategy with the engine, uh, taking advantage of gray areas in the rules that eventually got closed down and putting um, a lot of emphasis on that in terms of their car development, uh, tweaking the way that they were sorting their aero around this very powerful engine and stuff like that. And these were decisions that nearly took them to a championship in 2018. Uh, maybe could have done it in 2017 as well, but then eventually have come around. And when they've had that advantage stripped away because of um, clearly what they were doing was, was on the boundary of what was allowed, uh, they're in the position they're in now. So is it a crisis? Well, it's, you know, it, it's just this, it's, it's the set of chain of events that were set in motion a very long time ago. And now we're seeing the, the, the full impact of it. 
It reminded me, <clears throat> that quote reminded me of my favorite, well, one of my favorite quotes from Blackadder. And I know I've, I've quoted this series on the podcast before, but on that, Edmund Blackadder, I've got it here because I wanted to get it right. So it definitely, like, I'm, I'm surprised Bonotto said it isn't a crisis because to me, this is what you could say about Ferrari. So Edmund Blackadder at one point says, um, he says, Baldrick, this is a crisis, a large crisis. In fact, if you've got a moment, it's a 12-story crisis with a magnificent entrance hall, carpeting throughout, 24-hour portrage, and an enormous sign on the roof saying, this is a large crisis. So that's, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that I was thinking of when I read that from Bonotto, because I was like, well, of course it's for a team like Ferrari to be doing that. And I think Lawrence has explained it quite well. It's not just come out of nowhere, but the fact that they're even in this mess, you know, I think Toto Wolf kind of hinted at it being certain individuals at Ferrari, and that seemed to be very thinly veiled swipe at Bonotto himself. It's not surprising he says that because it seems like, you know, if, if, if there's any accountability to be had, he's going to be the first person on the chopping block. And I suppose we'll definitely get into what we, um, if we still expect the struggles for Ferrari to continue this weekend, right in their own backyards, which I suspect I already know the answer to that one. But as we had, Lawrence and I came up with um, a little segment, Nate, um, in the pod, a new segment, and it's called Spare a Thought for Valtteri Bottas segment. Um, because we all, <laughs> it seems that we do have to keep doing that. But in, in with this Ferrari fallouts and everything, I suppose let's, Spare a thought for some of their rivals, including Red Bull, because I know that Christian Horner had some interesting stuff to say, too, that when you look at last year and you saw the performance at Spa and then you see now, it just kind of, it really, he says it leaves them with a sour taste in their mouth. So, Lawrence, do you think um, you probably understand exactly what he means, but can anything come of this, I suppose, or is the writing just pretty much on the wall what everyone was thinking, but probably too afraid to say it without actual proof? Well, at the start of this year, you remember seven teams, uh, which included Red Bull, so it's basically all the teams that aren't either Ferrari or are powered by a Ferrari engine, um, uh, basically signed a, a letter to the FIA saying that they wanted more transparency on this issue. Um, that all kind of got swept under the carpet um, when we went to Australia and the coronavirus pandemic kind of, you know, stopped the world in its tracks and uh, also stopped that um, that motion, uh, but, but, but behind that kind of what looked like it could turn into a legal appeal or something like that. But the fundamental facts of, of why they were so angry back then still exist now. Nothing changed. We didn't get any more information from uh, the FIA. I mean, we've got a very small amount, but, but nothing that was satisfactory. So the other teams are, are still upset about this. And I think Red Bull in particular, because um, Red Bull obviously were very close to uh, Ferrari. They were, you know, trying to take wins off Ferrari at times last year. And they ended up finishing behind Ferrari last year in the championship. And the difference between finishing third and second is about $10 million. Uh, so that's not an insignificant, you know, amount of money. And it's a reason why you might still be quite upset about um, something that has now, is now so clear, uh, as Christian said. One year ago, they were winning at Spa. This year, they're not well, what's changed? If you look at the fundamental aero concept of the car, it looks fairly similar. It's, you know, okay, it's tweaked a bit. They added a lot more downforce thinking they'd still have the power. But the biggest thing that's gone is that is, is what's happened with the power unit. So understandably, um, Red Bull, who have had, I mean, the story of Red Bull's uh, kind of turbo hybrid era has been a lack of power and trying to find an engine manufacturer that will allow them to compete with Mercedes. And, um, and Ferrari, and then it turns out Ferrari, uh, were, you know, we were doing stuff which later got found out to be, you know, against against the regulations. And technical directors came out, and they had to change the way they're running that engine. So 
that's why he's upset. And I think he's not alone in Formula One. There's lots of people upset because, you know, depending on how far you think the FIA should have gone in penalising Ferrari last year, um, depends on how many other teams would have stood to benefit from more, you know, constructors' uh, positions and therefore um, more prize money. So um, that's that's the issue at play here. And, and it's not insignificant. You know, this is serious money. This is a serious sport. And um, for some of these teams as well, you know, it was going to be the difference between surviving and not, um, not in the case of Red Bull, but, um, but still that money would be, you know, very happily accepted, I'm sure, by the aero department, especially this year when it's the, um, it's the final season before we get a real clampdown on what you can spend. Also, what, what I've been thinking as well is if you're, let's say you're racing point this year, you've had that whole saga with Renault dragged through. You know, the news, you've had points docked, you've been fined. <clears throat> and Ferrari, as Lawrence mentioned, it was a settlement at the start of the year. But it was a confidential, you know, it was a confidential settlement with the FIA that no one knows what the sanctions were, if there were any sanctions. Both sides came out and said, look, there was no wrongdoing, which begs the question, why do you have to have a confidential settlement if it is that? Ferrari have said it's to protect their intellectual property, which, you know, there might be some truth to that. But at the same time, you know, Racing Point have had basically their, you know, <laughs> their entire rear brake ducts have been like, you know, microanalyzed by everybody. That's all out in the open. And Ferrari are the ones kind of leading the appeal to get Racing Point bigger sanctions. So I think that the bitterness does come from that original kind of settlement. But I'm sure there's teams in there who are looking at it thinking, well, you know, if one team can get penalized for, for doing something that's meant to be contravening the rules, why does F1's most famous team that we already pay to turn up here, why aren't they getting the same treatment from, from the FIA? So... Yes, yeah, I can see why they, especially from the from its main rivals as well. You, it's human nature that you'd be massively annoyed about how that's played out. Well, someone who I suppose is not getting too annoyed just yet um, is your boy Nathaniel Sunday signs, and understandably because of his impending move to Ferrari come next season, he has been fielding quite a few questions about Ferrari um, given their current struggles. And he had an interesting comment in the sense that he said he can wait until twenty twenty two for a podium finish. And I mean, well, that's good because that... he's going to have to. <laughs> I was going to say at this point, he's not really got a choice, but I don't mean, it's not like he could go back on his contract or anything now, but yeah. um, that, that, that must, that must also leave a bit of a, a sour taste in his mouth. Don't you think? A little bit, but then it's worth remembering that Leclerc scored two podiums this year. So it's not, mm. it's not as bad as, you know, I think they'll go to Spa and Monza next year and still know that they're going to be maybe, you know, up against it. But for the Ferrari still was competitive enough to, to be there or thereabouts. And really for him, in his first year at Ferrari, his main task is a bit like we've been talking about with Albon and how we talked about with Gasly last year. His main task is going to be to be competitive with Leclerc. So mm. he probably, even if Ferrari was competitive, he probably went in with the mindset of, you know, my first year isn't going to be my most successful one there. It's kind of bed yourself into the team. Make sure they know you're reliable. Make sure your feedback's good to them. Make sure you're close to Leclerc. And make sure, as Lawrence has said time and time again, the big problem with Albon is that he's not giving Red Bull their best strategic options in races because he's so far back. So for science next year, and this isn't, you know, I'm not saying he's immediately relegated to number two driver, but naturally his job is going to be to make sure that he's in the best position to support Leclerc, to make sure he's close to him. I mean, if he went there and blew Leclerc out of the water, you'd be pretty amazed by it, but I don't think that's going to happen. So I'm not too surprised by that. But yeah, he's going to have to be patient. And then he's going to have to hope that Ferrari get their act together for 2022, which, you know, you'd have to be a very optimistic Ferrari fan to think that they're going to do that. 
Perfect. Well, I suppose we could talk from now till Kingdom Come about Ferrari and their woes, and we definitely will start talking about them when we look ahead to what we expect from them or what we're not expecting from them in Monza this weekend. But um, let's move on, I suppose, to some other driver comments in terms of Lewis Hamilton, who um, had to weigh in on the fact that, you know, Nate and everyone was falling asleep because he just led straight from he led basically from qualifying um he probably led from practice even but in what should have been you know a decent weekend probably for Valtteri considering it was his birthday but again we'll always spare a thought for Valtteri and Louis said some funny comments in the sense that he said you know I was a teenage kid during the Schumacher years of dominance and he said I would have woken up had my bacon sandwich not anymore and probably watched the start and gone to sleep and then woke up to watch the end and probably watch the the more you know condensed highlights unless highlight package unless something major happened and now that's what he did and now that's exactly what people are thinking about him not you know to to downplay his absolute brilliance and dominance but um <laughs> i suppose that's exactly what everyone's been thinking huh Lawrence? yeah um i mean it this is the thing like the fact that lewis mentioned that this was going on in 2000s is is is, is the truth of f1 you know if you end up with a team that is dominant then it's going to be pretty dull i remember i um i went to Spa 2007 as a fan. Uh, I drove all the way on uh, Saturday night to Spa, uh, got there pretty much Sunday morning, um, watched the race and drove all the way back. And it was an awful race. Terrible, terrible race. Kimi Raikkonen dominated it in a Ferrari. And um, yeah, I missed out. 2008 was a mega race and I missed out on that for a single year. But um, yeah, you know, it's, it's not unusual. These things happen. I think when we go to somewhere like Spa, because it's such an incredible circuit and I enjoyed watching the cars there anyway when I went in 2007 but because it's such an incredible circuit this hype gets put up of like oh we're going to have an amazing race because it's at Spa and it's got all the history and it's got Rouge and it's got all this kind of stuff and uh, and sometimes you know you just don't you don't get good racing but th there's a number of factors at play at the moment um, I think the most significant one being that Mercedes is so far ahead but as we talked about at the start of the show that's not really Mercedes fault it's um more the fault of uh, the other teams not being able to compete or not building a good enough car to compete. And all of this is hopefully going to be addressed in the coming years. You know, the idea is that F1 has laid out a more level playing field with um, uh, a better distribution of the prize money so that um, smaller teams further down can compete. There's a cost cap coming in so teams can't spend their way to success so easily. And you've got a set of regulations in 2022, which are hopefully going to design some cars which are a lot easier to race wheel to wheel. Uh, that and also increasing pressure on Pirelli uh, to deliver a tyre by 2022 that allows the drivers to push hard. So those are all your factors that made the race dull. Nothing to do with Lewis, really. You know, he just turned up, did what he did, did what he does very well. Um, nothing really to do with Mercedes. They, you know, went into the season blind. They actually thought Ferrari were going to have an incredibly competitive car because they assumed they continue with the same power unit and everything. So, um, you know, not really their fault. They just built the best car they could blind at the start of the year. And so you end up with a situation. So um, it, it's definitely nothing new in F1. If anything, that's, that's what you should take from these Lewis quotes is that this has happened before. And then we've had periods of very exciting seasons, I think 2012, 2010. You know, it does, it does come around, but it just takes a little while. And um, it takes uh, the powers that be in Formula One to put everything in the right place. And they're doing it and it's slow and it's been delayed because of coronavirus. But hopefully we are going to get there and um yeah in the meantime uh, if you actually look down in the midfield you've got a pretty pretty good battle going on so i know it's so hard to do mentally to remove mercedes from the picture 
or Mercedes and Red Bull from the picture and just look at the rest of it. But if you did that, you know, you'd have some thrilling races. But, um, but of course, no one gets so excited about a car finishing fourth or fifth, do they? So, so, that's, so that's the problem. But um, yeah, I mean, Lewis is right. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll get some better races coming up. But it's just the nature of the sport at the moment. There's not much you can do about it instantly to change it. On that point about F1, and it's always been the case, I think it's a very good point and it is always brought up. But I also, I also I'm glad that F1 has tried to address that because just saying something's always been the way, you know, just it's always been that way doesn't mean it needs to keep going that way forward. I think if we'd had more thrilling championship fights, it wouldn't feel so bad that Lewis is always the one winning. You know, if we'd had more to the wire, we've had 2014, 2016, and then obviously Ferrari dropping the ball in 2017, 2018 meant that those seasons kind of fizzled out. So Lawrence is completely right that it's not, it's not on Mercedes, but I think that there is something fundamentally wrong with F1 that you can have one team be so far ahead of the rest for so long. Um, and I think, you know, you look at the way rules are made and stuff, and I think that Liberty are trying to change this gradually. But I'm skeptical that 2022 is actually going to make F1. You know, they always say we want it to be like, you know, the NFL or something like that. You know, you see in the NFL, there's very rarely repeat winners. You know, it's very difficult to build a team that can win you back-to-back Super Bowls. But, you know, in... In F1, you just need to get one set of rules right and you could win for the next four years. So it is, it is a fundamentally different sport to what most people watch. And ultimately, I think that that kind of hurts it, you know, when, when you're trying to appeal to a more casual fan. But um, yeah, Lewis was right. But I don't, know why, I don't know why Lewis, you know, in growing up in the early 2000s, why is, why is he having a bacon sandwich at two in the afternoon? He should be having a Sunday <laughs> big Why is Sunday he waking roast. up at 2 yeah. p.m.? <laughs> what was his sleep schedule? That's was doing like that. me. I wake so, up at like midday if you leave me. But <laughs> I used to, so I used to go to church with my parents on Sunday, and then I'd always make my, like we've got to get home early. You know, we'd we'd have the Sunday dinner, and then you and then you'd watch on the sofa. So I don't know why Lewis is having, and also why would you have a bacon sandwich when you're going to watch a race? How do you fall asleep after having a bacon sandwich? I had so many questions about it's that. Heavy, but. isn't it? Yeah, bacon I couldn't. Sandwiches, yeah, I couldn't so, sleep after that. But you, so. na- yeah, you get like napping. You get, you know, that that feeling to sleep. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it, that's probably why he was napping, was he was having a bacon sandwich. Because <laughs> he's but that's maybe he had training like super early and then came home, maybe had lunch, napped. Yeah. <laughs> so understand yeah. but I I don't know, I can't picture Lewis Hamilton waking up at like two PM ready to watch and then you just nap again, like yes. within ten minutes. A lot of, lot of questions that we need to ask Lewis about. So many that. questions, Lewis. We need answers. We need answers. Uh, speaking of answers and well a lot of questions we have a lot of questions that we always throw to lawrence when it has to do with some nerdy things and this one this new story is nonetheless lawrence has to do with um engines and rules and regulations there and changes that we can expect so just fill us in and lawrence gets a little nerdy yeah so um it's been talked about now for a couple of races uh coming up to uh, to this race and originally they got to inspire and the idea is to get rid of the qualifying engine mode so You'll notice um, as the weekend ramps up, we go through the practice sessions, we get to qualifying and uh, the teams tend to turn up their engines and then you'll notice a big step in performance for Q3, well usually Q2 and Q3, and that's because they're running uh, these uh, engine modes which basically allows full deployment of the hybrid system uh, to the rear wheels, it, um, it uh, ups the, uh, the ignition timing and kind of gets everything working at its absolute maximum. But by doing that, uh, you're also limiting the long-term life of the engine. You're damaging it, essentially. So they're limited to how many laps they can do that for. So typically, a team will allow its drivers to use it in Q2 and Q3, or top team anyway. Obviously, smaller teams try and just get through Q1 with it. And then uh, they'll usually have it for the start of the race, 
um, any safety car restarts, and then sometimes they're allowed to use it for overtaking as well. And so um, that was perceived to be a big Mercedes advantage. It's quite clear that they get this sudden kind of boost in qualifying. And so that has led to a lot of theories that the reason this has come in is to try and peg Mercedes back. And I think there is definitely some truth to that. And I think it will do so to some extent in qualifying, maybe not to the extent that we see another car on pole position because Mercedes' advantage is so big in qualifying and it's not all down to the engine mode. Um, but I, I think we will see them peg back a, a little bit to result. But the reason the FIA have given for doing it, the, the actual formal reason, is that uh, in trying to monitor engine modes and what's going on exactly in the engine and how much fuel is going. And this is vaguely linked to the uh, Ferrari situation over the winter and trying to monitor engine modes and exactly what's going on inside the engine at any time. And the problem is if you have all these, this range of engine modes of kind of going up through various different uh, settings, you have a lot less data to, to analyze and it's a lot harder to compare things across. So you end up with a very small set of data around those really fast laps when the engine is, is at its peak. And therefore the FIA can't quite pick out the um, discrepancies and, and people doing stuff which they shouldn't be doing. So it's a lot easier for them if it's a same mode for qualifying and the race. And that's what they've uh, said needs to happen from now on. And, uh, and therefore they get a much wider set of data to, um, to be able to check that everything is running as it should do. But there are some obvious knock-on effects. One is uh, potentially pegging Mercedes back, like I said, and also Mercedes customers as well. Of course, they all have those engine modes as well. Uh, but the other one, which I'm a bit worried about, is that teams will use these engine modes to try and overtake in races. And so if you strip that away, it's another thing that is kind of holding the driver behind back. We already know how difficult it is to get close to a car, to overtake a car, how much the tires overheat, all this kind of stuff. And one advantage they had was to be able to stick it in the fastest engine mode Equally, the driver ahead could try and defend by doing the same. But it was, you know, it's another tactical variation and kind of something that could create an overtaken opportunity with the driver pin it into a, a high engine. And they could only ever do it for a short amount of time to put the extra pressure on those laps uh, to, to do it. So scenario seven, for example, which we heard about with Lando Norris at the start of the season, that was all down to an engine mode and uh, getting the most out of the car um, around that final lap in Austria. So... Yeah, all of that is 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 gone as of Monza, and um, we'll, we'll wait to see what what impact it has on on the racing. Uh, it might help Ferrari a bit because it seemed like they were stripped of that mode already uh, as of the start of the year, um, so it might help them a bit. But um, really, I think qualifying is where you're going to see the difference in the race. If anything, it gives actually more overall engine life to be deployed across across the race, and therefore you can run in a relatively higher setting than you may have before because you're not taking the energy out of the engine uh, or taking the life out of the engine uh, in new qualifying laps and so on so so that's where they are so um yeah we'll, we'll have to wait and see it's definitely going to be a talking point going into this weekend it's going to be even more of a talking point if anyone gets close to mercedes in qualifying um but yeah we'll just have to wait to see if that happens it's a bit like whack-a-mole isn't it you know when you go to the fair and you're like you whack one and another mole pops up like because it's like lawrence says there it's it's changing one thing in the middle of the season and you never know what the consequences of that are going to be and mm. It's one of the things that is frustrating sometimes about F1 is they'll bring something like this in. It'll be a big talking point. It will probably not lead to a big change up at the front, but it might impact the racing in some way. And then people go, well, why has this happened? It's like, well, because you've, you know, in the middle of a season, you've taken this away and you haven't thought through, or, or you have thought through the, the consequences, but you've done it purely to peg back the, the guys at the front. So um, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, I mean, if it, if it leads to a closer race up the front, then I'm all for it. But like Lawrence said, a lot of reason to be skeptical about that. To, to be fair to the FIA, then their reason 
officially is not to peg back Mercedes and it is to monitor these. And, you know, whose fault is that? Well, Ferrari were the one that were taking advantage of, of, of some stuff last year. So, um, you know, if, if it is the case that they really can't monitor what's going on that easily, you know, if they don't have this in place, then, then yeah, you probably need to do it because otherwise teams will just take advantage. If they see a blind spot for the FIA, they're probably going to exploit it. And we've seen similar things in the past, um, like flexible front wing, stuff like that. Red Bull had that a lot during their period of success. And if I would bring in new tests uh, right ahead of a weekend, that meant that, you know, the wing had to deal with higher stresses when it was being tested in scrutineering. So it's not unheard of, but, um, and I don't, to be honest, I, I think it's likely to have very little impact overall. Um, but yeah, like I said, the one concern is just whether it makes it a little bit harder for some drivers to pull off overtaking moves. That's why we pay Nate the big bucks so he can compare stuff to um, whack-a-mole. That's the top quality analysis that we absolutely love to hear. Another reason why we pay Nate some of the big bucks is because we do love a little Nathaniel rant, don't we, Nate? And one of the things that apparently has... <laughs> I'm laughing because the things in life that tick you off, the, the whole... <laughs> The whole fan cam that we've been seeing, you know, sometimes I feel like I started liking it and then now it's gotten to a point where it might be slightly annoying. But just when I thought that it was annoying me, oh my goodness, feel the wrath of Nate. So this is almost a Nate goes on a rant before we go into Monza because we'll, we'll see exactly how much over the edge it will tip you if you do see that Monza again or for the rest of the season. Yeah, so I've been wondering what F1 did with all the grid kits that they've, you know, haven't been at races, and clearly they've been set in meetings coming up with ideas like this, like this fan cam idea. You know, so I think in Spa it was, um, it was a Verstappen fan in a Red Bull shirt drinking, doing a shoey, which obviously is the Ricardo's thing. And, you know, I know that there's no fans at these events and they're trying to spice things up, but just one of those, I, I tweeted that it's like, I can't believe a group of grown up human beings actually thought that idea was a good one. And I think when you're the pinnacle of motor racing, to have that in the background is just pretty embarrassing. Uh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm in like full dad mode here. You know, I'm, I'm ahead of my time and just you know, like elderly dad complaining, like old man yells at cloud type thing, which it probably is. It probably is that. Um, but yeah, just things like that. Just and 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 maybe maybe it was more frustrating because it was in the middle of a really dull race as well, and then you've got yeah. that kind of in your face. If it was in the middle of a great race, I wouldn't really mind. But we had it in Hungary. You know, there was a, there was an image of Rosberg kind of cheering on as Bottas and Lewis went past. And I was just like, you know, who, who came up with this? I don't mind you trying it once, but don't, don't keep on pushing it. Like we get that there's fans that like F1. You don't have to have them filming themselves doing a shoey to, to prove that, you know, it's just, it just, I just think it looks really dumb. So that's Dan, rant over. Dan, you people for having fun. How dare you? <laughs> yeah. Outrageous. I don't like it enough. Too much, too, too much fun. Too much fun. Too much fun. Too much fun. But then also, I'm, I'm, but then I'm also here complaining that F1's not, from races so you know maybe I'm maybe maybe I'm the problem <laughs> <laughs> no chance whatsoever all right well without further ado let's definitely get right into our Monza preview because of course we had to get through all those news stories and there's always a lot to talk about when it comes to engines and Ferrari and the fallout that um, I suppose many people are wondering just how much worse can things get. That's exactly what I say week in, week out. And gents, I suppose that's the best place to, to start because when we're in Italy, we're thinking Ferrari. And now we've got two back-to-back -back weekends in Italy. We start with Monza. Um, we saw the difficulties that Ferrari had at Spa, given that, you know, Monza will probably throw up some of the same kind of things. Then is this just another miserable weekend predicted for Ferrari? 
it's not going to be an easy one for them, definitely. Um, I don't know if it'll be quite as bad as Spa, because if you look at Spa and where they were losing the time, there's actually more in the high-speed corners, and uh, there's few of those in Monza, and everybody strips all the uh, downforce off the car anyway. So they're, they're not going to be competitive, um, and um, but I think there's a chance they might be looking more towards 10th, 9th, you know, uh, maybe scraping a point. Um, but it will also give us um, an even clearer indication probably of, of how far that Ferrari engine is off the others because um, obviously when they're all stripped down to very little downforce, then you kind of get a fairly fair comparison of, of what the engine's doing. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's not going to be easy. And the same probably goes for Mugello as well. Uh, you know, it's another track with lots of high-speed corners. We don't really know much about Mugello because, uh, you know, there's been a few F1 tests there, but we haven't never raced there. So, Perhaps that will help. Perhaps the fact that uh, they own the track and therefore they know a lot more about it, about the tarmac, about all that kind of stuff, uh, could actually play into, play into their hands a bit. But still, like any high-speed track this year, uh, they're going to struggle. And the one which they got right was Silverstone because they were able to run fairly low downforce uh, level and get away with it. And everybody else was relatively high and it just kind of played into their favour with the tyres. But I don't think that's going to happen at, you know, at every circuit. It's not something they can rely on. So... Yeah, it, it, it's not going to be pretty, I don't think, for Ferrari. There are two home races coming up, uh, the second of which is their 1,000th race as well. So mm. uh, not probably the way they want to celebrate it. And if Lewis wins both these races, he matches Schumacher at Mugello, which is just kind of rubbing salt into Ferrari's wounds a little bit. Um, because obviously, you know, that record is almost synonymous with Schumacher's time at Ferrari. Um, but good year for there to be no fans at Monza, I would say. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to be horrible to see that. But if you're Ferrari, I don't think that's the worst thing, you know, having a, having a stadium full of Ferrari fans watching you plod around to finish 10th and 11th might not be the best, uh, might not be the best thing. Yeah, it would have been interesting because Sebastian Vettel was asked about that um, by um, one of the German journalists at the end of uh, the Belgian Grand Prix weekend is, you know, are you happy that there's no fans there because they won't be able to boo you? And we know that we've seen in the past that Ferrari fan or that uh, fans at the Italian Grand Prix do tend to boot people on the podium. But it's usually the people that beat the Ferraris. It's not usually Ferrari themselves. So whether that would have happened, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of like it's almost like football mentality, isn't it? Where they boot a manager off at the end of at the end of a game, which mm-hmm. is not particularly badly, or at end of a set of results that have gone gone particularly badly. So I don't know if that translates to F1. But anyway, we, we'll never find out. And maybe maybe next year we will when we hopefully have fans back and maybe Ferrari still aren't performing. Maybe we could get some shots of fans booing on the fan cam then, Nate. And that will at least make it more authentic somewhat, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I suppose so. But F1 would, F1 would like have one of them drinking like milk or like doing a shiri <laughs> instead of booing and it would just look, it would just look naff. It looks scripted. But so, Nate, what do you think? Ninth or tenth, probably a bit of an improvement there that you're expecting for a Ferrari? Because, I mean, like we were saying, just... This feels like rock bottom for them, despite what, you know, Mattia Bonato is saying, but obviously he does have to try and put a positive spin on things. But um, it is how much, how much more of a, what's below rock bottom, <laughs> you know, and can Ferrari get there? Well, if this is the 90s, at least they're, they're beating Williams, at least. So that's pretty good by the 90s standards. But um, no, yeah, if they, if they couldn't beat Williams, that would be rock bottom, given where Williams have been. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I, think Lawrence, I think Lawrence is right. You know, they'll, they'll definitely move up the order, but again, to be talking about such a great team and saying that they're ninth and tenth mm. is is pretty bad. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a fascinating race. Like the the guys ahead of them, that midfield battle that Lawrence was talking about earlier in Spa was really really fascinating, really really close. And you know um, I'm sure we'll talk about them a bit more in a, in a sec. But you know where 
Ferrari not being there means that that gap behind the top two teams is suddenly open and potentially, you know, we, we could have some teams pushing for a podium. So Ferrari's loss could be somebody else's gain, I suppose. All right. Well, whose gain is it? That's that's probably the next question. And who are we expecting big things from? Obviously, I'm assuming Mercedes. Is this just going to be another one where we should probably channel teenage Lewis and get our sar sarnies out at around 2 p.m., take a little take a little nap and then come back in the end? We're being harsh on Ferrari here and saying that Mercedes rivals aren't taking the fight to mm. uh, Lewis. But another person not doing that is Bottas. And, you know, I think that that's become very clear this year. And um, even if we had two Mercedes drivers fighting tooth and nail for the win, it wouldn't be quite as dull. We wouldn't have to, you know, be sleeping midway through the race or whatever people are doing. Um, that's all I was going to say. That's <laughs> all I was going to say before people started tweeting me saying that I was just, you know, hating on Ferrari the whole episode, which, it, you know, is actually factually accurate. But I could say at least I, at least I balanced it with some Potas hate as well. Not no, hate, but I mean, not hate well, you know what I mean. Criticism, you know I mean. honest yeah. criticism. But I suppose we'll pick up there, Nathan, just get your idea because on the um, reaction part on Sunday, Lawrence and I did have this chat and I was like, that was our whole segment, basically, our spare thoughts for Valtteri Bottas, given the fact that it was his birthday. And just yet again, it's like something, something's just missing. We know that we say that maybe he's, you know, too cautious. He makes, you know, life for Lewis a little too easy. Um, but there still is that harmony. And, you know, why would Mercedes not want that because they're not you know kicking off but you even said it that this is these are the moments that almost make you miss a nico roseberg as as toxic as things we saw could be but it does make you miss it so what's what's missing from valtteri then what do you think's just not not clicking there um i could answer very harshly and say what's missing is ultimately there's a bit of talent missing ultimately to take that fight to lewis i think that you know at this point you can't deny that and the, the cautious thing you mentioned, Alexis, is, is I think is part of that. You know, we've seen a lot of instances this year. I remember Lawrence mentioning it on the Silverstone podcast where Bottas just seemed to back off, you know, at that start when he had Lewis, you know, he had him in a position where he could have taken the fight to him. And I don't know, there's just so many, so many different examples where Bottas just, you know, you want him to make an overtaking move, you want him to attack, and he just seems to not have that in him, whether it's not having the killer instinct, whether it's not having the confidence he can do it. And that's probably been kind of beaten out of him by Lewis over these past couple of years but if you don't have it you know if you don't have it two years ago he's certainly not going to have it now so yeah I think at this point most people just don't see Bottas as a genuine contender he might win a couple more races in his time at Mercedes but he's not going to get close to the championship and Lars, I know we did touch on this as well um briefly too in the sense that as what Nate has just said whether it's um Either, you know, Lewis has beaten out Valtteri's confidence, not just this season, but over the years overall. Do you think it's, it's, it's too far gone now for him to do anything this weekend yet, let alone for the rest of the season? Well, he, he, might, he might pull it together this weekend. We, we've seen plenty of weekends uh, over the years, albeit the relatively small amount compared to the amount of times that Lewis has the upper hand, but a, a few weekends where, where Valtteri's done it. And, um, you know, it... It could, it could happen here. It tends to be kind of outlier circuits, you know, circuits which are a bit strange where you go different setups. So Monza is an example of that. So possibly he'll, um, you know, he'll be able to take the fight this weekend. But over the course of the year, now, I think the championship's uh, long gone. And I think Valtteri's biggest issue is just the consistency. You know, he can't find that level of performance again and again and again. And then he's up against someone who, who is doing that. The question is, is how many other drivers on the grid would do a better job than Valtteri? And I think you're looking at a pretty small uh, sample. And, uh, but, you know, you're kind of probably talking about Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, 
Maybe the listeners there, maybe Daniel Ricardo, but you know, Ricardo's been pretty inconsistent. It's just that it's a lot less obvious when you're in the middle of the grid and you're inconsistent. Um, because you know, you may finish 11th instead of seventh, but no one's really paying attention. But when you're in a car that can win and you're one of two drivers in a car that can win and you're finishing consistently second or even worse, third behind a fast car, that's when it really shows. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to know who would actually be able to take the fight to Lewis. And then once you get into a title fight as well, you know, that's when there's a huge amount of pressure. And Lewis has done it six times before. So there's that as well. So um, I, I think Valtteri has been particularly disappointing this year. I was hoping for more. Um, after last year, I felt like it was a good, you know, a pretty good year. First time I finished second in the championship. Got a couple of wins together and it looked like he, he might just be able to push that a bit harder this year and um, and he hasn't. So, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know what happens there. I don't think it helps uh, that he's continuing on these one-year contracts where he's, you know, fighting for his uh, career the following year each time. That's, I think that's already a big um, thing to have hanging over you when you've got Lewis kind of, you know, just negotiating on his own terms when he puts his signature on a three-year contract. So there's that as well. But... Um, but undoubtedly, uh, you know, Lewis is a better driver and that over the course of 17 races or 22 races, if we have a normal season, uh, shines through and uh, it's very hard for Valtteri to, to beat him. All right, well, I guess we're expecting slightly much of the same um, come this weekend. But I know we usually start to talk about Max Verstappen here because he's the one that is the closest to threat and I suppose the two Mercedes. But I actually want to talk about Danny Ricardo because... As Nate said um, last weekend, he and, you know, of course, Esteban Ocon, you know, in, in certain areas too, seem to be slipping under the radar, but still doing quite well in this Renault. So what are you guys expecting from Renault this weekend? Much of the same for Danny Ricciardo, if not maybe better. Could we see him actually get a podium instead of just flirting with it? Because we saw how close he got at Spa. Well, we've seen that the Renault is pretty much the opposite car to the Ferrari and it's got mm. a pretty powerful engine. And uh, it's quite error efficient. So Spa was a perfect circuit for it. So I think Spa was the opportunity really to get a podium. And Ricardo actually came really close towards the end. Uh, you know, he got that fastest lap towards the end as well when everyone else was struggling with tyres. So it really did show that um, at that circuit, Renault were on it. But we've seen so many times before that Spa can be a complete outlier compared to the rest of the season. Mons was pretty close to it. So I would expect them to be competitive again. But it's just whether they have that you know, extra little bit to take it to Red Bull. It's, you know, it's going to be close. Obviously, they're beating, they both beat Albon, but, you know, that, that's the difference between Albon and Verstappen at the moment. Yeah. But the fact that they're in uh, in that kind of fight and the fact that they're getting pretty close to Red Bull is, is very positive. But I think you'll find when we go back to some other kind of more normal types of circuit, um, ones which uh, require more downforce on the car, that's when you'll start to see Renault slip back a little bit before, again. You know, you only have to look at the Constructors' Championship they're six, you know, so it hasn't been a great year for them. Um, and uh, yes, they got the car together in Spa, but I, I really think that could be more of a one-off, uh, more of an exception rather than the rule. Yeah, it was, it was, it sucked kind of in Belgium because we knew that what was riding on that podium wasn't just a podium for Renault and not just him doing the shoey, but was, we know that Ricardo has this bet with Cyril Abitbull that if he gets on the podium with Renault before he leaves, he gets to... I think it's he gets a designer po- a designer tattoo for Cyril that then Cyril mm-hmm. has to have 
um, put on his skin at some point. And that would have just been a great story for us to kind of, you know, we'd have been talking about a tattoo all week. You know, what's it going to look like? And you can imagine the last person on the grid that you want to design a tattoo for you is Daniel Ricardo. You know, you could end up with something really horrible. And Alexis, I know you've had people draw tattoos for you. You've had Tim Howard and a few other guys, right? Gentle for, for, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was for, blindfolded. I didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, different features on ESPN. And I, I commend you for that because that is that's a terrifying thing to let someone do to you. Um, but yeah, that, so that would have been fun. And so hopefully, you know, maybe Rano's in a position where if something does happen up in the front, then they might be able to capitalize. But again, it's kind of the frustrating thing of this season is that unless something happens to those top three guys, you're not going to get a third, you know, a different person mm. on the podium. So, um, but it'd be great. I think, I think it'd be, it'd be great. It's about time we saw Ricardo up there again. Uh, you know, I, you guys know I'm a big fan of his. And um, it's, it's a shame as well, because I think we've, we've missed, he had a great wheel-to-wheel fight with Verstappen early in that, in that race. And he said, had he got ahead of Verstappen early on, it might have been a different story. You know, it's not always the easiest place to overtake on. He probably still would have, wouldn't have got a, stayed ahead of Max, but you saw how close he was at the end. Yeah. You know, something different there might have, might have changed things up. So just seeing him being able to do that, and again, this goes back to the Bottas point a little bit. We don't really see that from a guy like Bottas. Whereas Ricardo, the first chance he gets, he's, he's always going wheel-to-wheel with guys. He's always putting the car in places that other guys might not put, put the car. So, um, yeah, he deserves to be at the front end, and you know, maybe next year he takes another step towards that with McLaren. The weird thing about that bet is that there seems to be no other side to it. So if Ricardo doesn't get a podium this year, yeah, Beeple doesn't get to. So it, I think it speaks a little bit to sort of Beeple's negotiating skills as well, which we've seen Uh-oh. time and time again. Yeah. Perhaps not as sharp as they could be. I mean, he's lost Ricardo for next year to McLaren. That's a really good think, point. You've got to think that surely there should be another side to that. But maybe there is. Maybe we can find out. Um, it might be worth asking Ricardo. Uh, tomorrow in the first day of press conferences to see if see if there's another side to it. But it did strike me as odd that the people just agreed to that with no. I mean, obviously he gets the benefit of a podium for his team, but surely Ricardo should be trying for that anyway. Maybe he'll let, maybe he'll let him design a tattoo for him. I mean, Danny's already got quite a few, so what's one more? But still, I mean, it is it is a bit daunting to have anyone say you'll get a tattoo blindfolded that someone else is going to design. And the other thing, Cyril has no other tattoos, apparently. So he's clearly not a tattoo guy. Um, so it's going to stand out even more. Um, but, if yeah, I was, do you know what, what Ricardo should do is he should go to, he should look at like Toto Wolf, James Allison, one of the Mercedes guys, see if they have a tattoo, get that on Cyril, and then open the door for Racing Point to protest that it's basically a oh, complete carbon copy of a Mercedes wow. tattoo. Wow. See? That would be... <laughs> or, or just get a Racing Point break duck tattoo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Nate, that was some abstract. serious shade. I love that. I love I, a shady Nate. <laughs> be, I just think that'd be funny, you know? You've got to have a bit more fun in F1 sometimes. That'd be fun. That would be brilliant. We should get an ESPN F1 tattoo. I'll design it <laughs> for a change. I'm not, signing get... any, I'm not signing anything. I don't oh, have any. Oh, come on. Do you, do you, have, you don't have any. Lawrence doesn't have any. No. no. Anyways, before I suppose this is the perfect point to get you guys' predictions. But before we do, let's go into pit stop and get everyone else's bold predictions. And after that, we will get yours in Nate's bald, bald, bald predictions. Yes, I have to say it three times because it, it adds effect to it, Nate, but in a good way. Yeah, we bald, need some, it needs some music to it as well, maybe. Yeah, we'll do some. We'll, we'll, we'll st- <laughs> we still say we'll record the jingles. Maybe we'll get someone like Danny Ricardo to record the jingle. How brilliant would that be? And I think he would do it for you. You only wrote a book about him, right? <laughs> yeah, that would be quite horrifying to have a, that player on every episode, but yeah, let's, let's do it. It'd be brilliant. Maybe we'll just get um, a jingle of all the drivers and just be like, can you just say this line? 
Nate's bald <laughs> predictions and then mash them together like a like a little jingle. Well, Extra yeah, props. Get a tattoo if you manage to get Lewis to do it as well. That is terrifying to think about. <laughs> I don't even want to think about that happening. <laughs> that is brilliant. Oh, it's on. It's on. Lucy, write it down. We're working on this. We're working on this. Um, okay, let's get to pit stop and get to a couple of your predictions that we took from Twitter as well as Facebook. Matt says his prediction is substantially less crowded this year. Fair. That's a very fair prediction as well. Salty Formula One fan. Wow. His prediction is Hamilton, Verstappen, Bottas. Alternatively, Hamilton, Bottas, Verstappen. Going to be another exciting race. I sense that it's absolutely dripping in sarcasm. Brad Hambridge says Ferrari powered cars do not score any points. So, wow. That's pretty that's strong. That's, yeah, that's strong. But if anyone who watched Spa, like, you know, it makes sense. On the, basis, yeah. on the basis of that, you know, we've obviously spoken about it might be different. Oh, dear. Photograph says he expects Ferrari to get embarrassed in front of their home crowd. Well, there's no crowd. And they will end up getting lapped twice by the Mercedes. Wow. Uh, Bjorn says Ferrari will come last. Bottas 5.0 will fail. I don't know why I'm laughing. I love me some Valtteri. Spare a thought for Valtteri, guys. Verstappen comes second or third. Lewis wins by a couple of miles. Albon is a long way behind Verstappen, and both Haas drivers will fail again. Robert says, well, now that they have dumbed down qualifying to the point that Ferrari can compete, we will see how they do. Ow. That was feisty. That was a bit feisty. Ty says Max Verstappen starts third and finishes third. It's 33 for a reason. Ahead is Mercedes boys in their own race. F1 plus while the rest are F in F1 minus. <laughs> wow. But then why is Lewis 44? He'd be finishing fourth and he'd be starting fourth, fourth and finishing fourth. So Which rarely happens. What, well, it what, did happen once this season and it wasn't pretty. Yeah. Who sent that comment in? What's his name? Ty Robert. Robert, sorry, Robert, but your theory is incorrect. Okay. Oh, I love your feisty <laughs> mate today. <laughs> I just says at the end of the day, Benotto will get fired from the team. Sam and Mattia will be seen chugging a macchiato at Auto Grill. <laughs> <laughs> love the, how specific that is. That's, and, and, and there's so many Auto Grills in Italy that, that you, you can actually picture that happening after a race. <laughs> could happen actually but a macchiato i don't know if you get sacked you would want to chug a macchiato with a person who you've been i guess butting heads with all season mm. call it, it might could, need you could call it a sacchiato if he gets sacked. Sa oh wow wow nate is here all day ladies yeah. and gentlemen worry, please tune in for these dad jokes <laughs> as you mentioned as, as you mentioned earlier alexis this is why they pay me the big bucks this is why we pay yeah. the, the big bucks neville says lewis will say bono my tires are gone also hamilton sets the fastest lap of the race <laughs> <laughs> That's good prediction yeah, good that, prediction that, that happens regularly often enough <laughs> aj asks any chance of a chain of events results in drivers not moving for next year for example carlos and danny ricardo to stay exactly where they are no unfortunately no unless i mean carlos might wish that but it's not gonna happen and fernando might have something to say about it as well he's quite keen to come back 
Here's probably the question all of us are asking. Pranjal is asking, what will the Ferrari management do if Ferrari perform at Monza the same way that they did at Spa? I suppose this is kind of now we're on like Mattia Binotto watch. Nate went as far as probably thinking maybe he should resign if things, if he goes lower than whatever rock bottom is, whatever that layer is. But, uh, you know, maybe it's supposed to mm, finish lower than 13th and 14th. Any, any chances of resignations there, guys? I mean, Monza used to be where Ferrari would tie up their con contract for at least one of their drivers. Um, I don't think that they would use it to to sack a manager, especially not before going to Mugello. But definitely, someone has to be held accountable there. I'll tell you what will happen instead is that you'll get we'll get a statement from John Elkin, uh, who is president of Ferrari at some point, and it'll be talking about the history of the team and how great it used to be and stuff like that. Because that seems to be Ferrari's tactic when things are going badly, they just say, "Oh, but you know, we're this great team and stuff," and it. And it's like, yeah, it's absolutely right. But you, you keep talking about the past and not on the immediate present or the future. That's just, again, again, that's just me being old and grumpy. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think the other issue, which we talked about in the last podcast as well, is you've got to find somebody to replace Mattia. You know, there's no good just kind of like getting rid of him and, uh, and that's it. Uh, because it's, F1's, you know, quite different. It takes a long time to, to turn things around. You need long-term long plans in place. And look, if, if the management at the very top are looking at um, Binotto's plans for 2022 and they're happy to wait until then, uh, then, you know, maybe he'll be given the opportunity to do it. But um, if you're going to hold one person responsible, then it's, it's, it's clearly Mattia because of his positions as well as technical director previously uh, and then into, uh, into the team manager. He didn't inherit this. This is, seems to be of his making. Ooh. Damning words there. He's going to need a very big macchiato after that. And finally, Sean says, I predict that Danny Ricardo will finally get a podium. That is something that we are all hoping does indeed come true. And on that point, now it's definitely time for Nate's ball, ball, ball predictions. <laughs> and then we'll, of course, get Lawrence's as well. Just your regular predictions. Unless you want to be bold and bald too. You probably don't want to be bald, but you can be bold. I'm here That's all day, guys. That's, a, that's another good one. I like that one. Um, you know, I was thinking about this because I can't really... One of the one of the bold predicts I had for Belgium was Ricciardo getting that podium, which nearly came true. So I, I can't use that one again. So what I'm going to say it was another guy who was super impressive at Spa and actually we haven't spoken about yet and we should. I'm going to say that Pierre Gasly gets a top five in Italy. And I know it's, it, it is bold because he might not have the car to do that, but... Mm. We've seen it a lot this year. He's been driving really well. But in Spa, he was really, you know, he was driving superbly. It was quite an emotional weekend for him. It's the first time yeah. he'd been back to Spa since Antoine Hubert was killed last year. Obviously a childhood friend of his. But I think he's been, he's been superb all year. And in Spa, he was another level. I was actually talking to um, a friend at Alpha Tauri, and he was just saying that, that he was like, the team had blown away by just how well he's performing at the moment. Um, so it'd be great. And it's kind of a home race for the team. They're based not too far down the road uh, in Faenza. So, um yeah, that, that's my bold prediction. I'm not sure how bold it is, uh, as he's been performing well, but I think the the maybe limitations of the car make it make it quite out there. What do you reckon, Laz? Have I have I gone could have been bolder. Again? Could have been bolder. Been... <laughs> I don't know. I feel like top five. Um, yeah, for, Ga for Gasly, I think it's pretty pretty bold. He's not. Yeah, he's... the, the Alfa Tori is not quite there, is it? But yeah, I mean, Toro Rosso won at that track 2008 with Sebastian Vettel. True. Long time ago. That was a long time ago. Um, so, prediction. Well, I think one team we haven't talked about much, but um, I was surprised that they didn't really perform in Spa was Racing Point. 
And uh, I think they might be due a resurgence. And at the moment, Lance Stroll is the guy who actually looks like quicker of those two drivers. So I'm going to go for a Stroll podium. Ooh, hello, hello. It's going to be bold then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, well, that's a wrap, guys. That's been brilliant. Thanks for your bald and bold predictions. And thanks to all our viewers, our listeners, rather, for sending in their questions as well as their bold predictions on social media. Cannot wait for this weekend. Cannot wait for the next two weekends. Nate's going to help lead us through his heritage, I suppose. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I can do. Uh, I mean... Macchiatos. Any, anyone, anyone listening will probably think I'm, won't think I'm a, like the most Italian person on this pod, would they? But... <laughs> they need to see your dark, like sultry looks, and then they'll know. <laughs> yeah, the red like cheeks dark don't hair. look very <laughs> Only because you're trying to get as much sun as possible here in London. But fair play. Thanks as always, of course, to Nathaniel and Lawrence. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. Make sure to join us on Sunday and make sure to catch anything from the world of Formula One on our ESPN platforms. And if you're in the US, you can catch all of the action from Monza this weekend on ESPN. So bye for now. <laughs>